There was a, a man who lived in New York who was a very religious Jew. And his son was graduating high school. And he wanted his son to be immersed in the history and faith of his people, of his ancestors. So he sent him to Israel to live for a year. And after a year, the son came back to New York and he met with his dad. He said, Dad, I'm so grateful. I had an amazing time. I learned so much about the history and the faith of our people. But I have to tell you something. I know it's not going to make you happy. He said, while I was in Israel, I converted to Christianity. And the father said, oh, what have I done? Hey, what am I going to do? I don't know. So he thought for a while, and he had a very good friend. You know, and he was embarrassed. He didn't want people to find out about this. So he had a friend who was wise and also very discreet. And so he met with him, and, and he says, listen, I have to tell you something. You can't promise. Don't tell anyone else. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, you know, I sent my son to Israel, and then he came back a Christian. And his friend said, well, it's funny you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel, and he came back a Christian. So the two men were, they were beyond themselves. They had no idea what was going on or what they should do. So they said, well, we'll go to the rabbi. The rabbi, he's a holy man. He'll know, he'll know what we should do. So they went to the rabbi. They told the rabbi what happened. And the rabbi said, it's funny you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel, and he, became, he came back a Christian. So the three of them now, they're saying they have no idea what to do. I mean, who else can they ask for advice? And the rabbi says, he says, we must go to God directly. And maybe God will be merciful on us and will give us understanding. And so the three of them prayed very fervently. And to their surprise, they heard God speak to them clearly. He said, it's funny you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel and he came back a Christian. Right? Now, we celebrate today, and the ascension is the Son returns back to the Father. So, the eternal Word, the eternally begotten Son of God, is sent from the Father into our reality of time and space. And He, and he enters into it by taking on a human nature. Right? And He, he lives His mission. And, and he, you know, he preaches about the kingdom. He, he dies to redeem us from our sins. And He rises again. And so, He returns back to heaven... But actually, he's, he returns back different than the way he was sent, right? He actually goes back to heaven with our human nature and having accomplished all that the Father gave him to accomplish for us and for our salvation. And our psalm today is, is relishing this moment in which Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is, a, a, imagine, you know, it's just an image, but God is on his throne and, and seated in the throne next to him is the Son. And um, this, so this is a psalm that we sung, God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Some scholars think that this was a song that was sung when a new Davidic king would sit upon the throne. Um, and indeed, in a way, they understood that God reigned on earth through the Davidic king, right? Some scholars think that it was actually a kind of vision of God reigning in heaven, there, uh, there is also, too, a connection with the ascension. We are told that Christ is there until he has put all things under his feet and that he is head of the church. So there's this celebration of Christ's victory and his reigning. There's an American politician way back in the 18th century who coined this phrase. He said, to the victor belong the spoils. And what he meant was when you would win a political campaign, you get to give to your friends 
offices and positions and contracts, right? So this is, it was called, if you remember American history, the spoil system, right? You win and all your friends, your party members get, get to enjoy these things. And of course, this is kind of true uh, of, of life generally, right? There's certain benefits that a victor has that he can share with others. And so too with Christ, right? So now that he ascends, he has been victorious, he has spoils that he wishes to share with his friends. And the greatest of these rewards is what he says to them in the, in the, um, before he leaves. He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. Right? What is this great, great uh, spoil he's going to share with us is the coming of the Holy Spirit, which happens, remember, nine days later on Pentecost. Now, so we, while we are still here on earth, okay, we are connected to Christ. He is the head. We are the body. He clothes us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We still have a mission of our own to accomplish. We still have a battle to fight. However, we have access to unlimited resources from Christ, from heaven. We have access to unlimited resources. In our second reading, the author of the letter of the Hebrews is talking about Christ entering the true sanctuary, he says, which the temple in Jerusalem is a mere copy. So remember, the temple in Jerusalem was considered the holiest place on earth. Right? It is uh, where Abraham probably offered Isaac, and later, many years later, Solomon would build this magnificent temple. It is where the Jews worshipped God, including with animal sacrifices. And the importance of animal sacrifices was to remind people of their sinfulness, in fact, of their unworthiness of even approaching God. I mean, there's even stories, remember, in the ark, when someone touches the ark and they're not supposed to, they die. They had this great sense that God is so holy, we are sinful, God is all-powerful and infinite, we are limited, we can't even approach him, we can't even get close to him. And this is reflected, in a way, also in the temple, though, because there's in the heart of the temple... It's called the Holy of Holies, okay? And this is where the ark was placed. Remember the ark that they built according to God's instruction that contained within it the commandments, the tablets of the commandments and the manna, and, and God's presence would overshadow the ark? Okay, so this was in the Holy of Holies, and it wasn't like a museum you can just walk in and look at. There was this very thick curtain called the veil, which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the sanctuary. And no one could enter except the high priest once a year. And he would go in there and he would offer incense on what's called the seat of mercy, which existed above the ark. Only on the day of atonement he could go and do that. But everyone else was excluded. No one else could have access to this inner sanctuary. And so the, the, the writer to the Hebrews, he's saying now, Christ now, who has, who has entered the true sanctuary of heaven, okay, has removed the veil so that we can have access. We can have access to the very inner life of God. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Something happened in the temple. Do you remember? The veil tore. The veil ripped apart. This is what we heard in our second reading. He said, since through the blood of Jesus, we have confidence of entrance into the sanctuary, we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with sincere heart and absolute trust. So we are united with Jesus and we make our prayers 
we say that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So we make all our prayers to the Father through Jesus. That's the whole structure of the Mass, actually. It's primarily a prayer to the Father in the Spirit through Christ. Okay? And even though our, the saints join us in prayer, they pray for us, all their, the efficacy of their intercession all comes from their relationship to Jesus. A few years ago, my brother Stephen was in, invited to be uh, in a wedding here in San Diego. He's living on the East Coast. And... Um, he, through no fault of his own, he misses his flight. It's a Thursday, and he's on standby for six hours, and he can't get on a plane. In fact, at the end of the six hours, they tell him, the first plane we can get you on is a Saturday, which meant he would miss the wedding. So he calls the groom and lets him know, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss your wedding. And the, and the groom says, no, you're not. So the groom flies all over the world for business. So he has like hundreds of thousands of frequent flyer miles. And he has this thing, which I've never heard of before, called concierge service. So whenever he has a problem, he calls and they fix it. So he's like, I'll call you back, Stephen. Five minutes later, uh, I booked you on a flight uh, tomorrow morning. You know? And it's nice, right, to have that kind of access, right, to have friends in high places, influential friends, right, who can, who can get you the things that you need. But he said to my brother, the groom said to my brother, why didn't you ask me the first thing? My brother spent all these six hours trying to get a, get a flight. He says, why didn't you ask me the first thing? Often we turn to God as a last resort. We turn to God after all the plans we have made begin to fail. Right? After we've exhausted everything in a human level, then we turn to God. But God wants us to turn to him first thing, in the middle, and at the end. He wants us to pray with a holy boldness as children are bold in asking for things from their parents. And Jesus says that whatever we ask in his name, we shall receive. That in, being in his name is not just using the name at the end of the prayer, but it's being united to Christ. One of my favorite stories about an answered prayer comes from the lives of Saints Benedict and Scholastica. So they lived in the 6th century, and they're actually twins, twin brother and sister. And hopefully you've heard of Benedict of Nursia. He is the one who established monasteries in the West. In fact, these monasteries, which spread across Europe, are, really became the sort of skeleton for what would become European civilization. They were hugely important uh, after the fall of the Roman Empire to create this thing called Europe and this thing called Christendom. So anyways, so Benedict has established at this point several monasteries. He lived in a monastery himself. And he wouldn't leave the monastery often, except uh, once a year he would actually visit his sister Scholastica. And Scholastica was living as a nun, basically, not far from the monastery. So one evening and during their annual visit, they were having a great conversation. They were talking about the scriptures and all the good things that God was doing and, and the miracles they had experienced in their lives. And it was getting late. And so Benedict says to Scholastica, he says, Sister, as you know, it is the rule of the monastery that a monk may not spend the night outside of the monastery, so I must return. And she says to him, brother, let's continue our conversation, right? We're not tired, let's keep talking till the sun rises. He says, no, I'm sorry, I have to go. So Scholastic closes her eyes, she bows her head, and all of a sudden, there's a torrential rain, like out of nowhere, right? Rains, rains, thunder, lightning, so much so that they cannot leave. And Benedict says to his sister, he says, sister, what have you done? And she said, well, 
I asked you and you said no. So then I asked God and he said yes. <laughs> and actually, they ended up having a wonderful conversation until the sun rose. Later, that day, Benedict had a vision of his sister's soul going to God, for she died. And he ordered that her body be placed in his grave in the monastery. And later, years later, when he died, his body was placed next to hers. In the ascension of Christ, humanity enters into heaven. In Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, heaven enters the souls of Christians, making us, animating us as the body of Christ. We have full access to God. And so let us approach him with sincere hearts and absolute trust.